Fantasy Island. Good, clean, fun. Kolchak the Night Stalker will not be seen tonight so that we may bring you the following special program. Watch Kolchak the Night Stalker next week at its regularly scheduled time. Welcome back to 201st Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Plank. And I'm Troy Harkin. Now, this is our second part of our Top 10 Fantasy Films episode. It's a two-part episode. Uh, This is part two. Uh, The first one was our 13th episode of season two. And this, what you're listening to now, is our part two, which is our 14th episode of season two. And this is our final episode of season two. And we're recording this on Saturday, March 26th. This one, this second part, is being broadcast on Saturday, April 16th. We don't have a special guest. We've already done our spoiler alert at the beginning of the first part. But, Troy, did you want to just add that quickly right now? Oh, why not? Here we go. I like pushing the button. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! There you go. Thanks a lot, Troy. We are recording it via Zoom, and we already know each other. and. I'm not going to put a quote in this episode. There was a quote at the beginning of the previous one. And what we're going to do is we're going to start right now at number five of Troy. We've already done 10 through six for both of us. There were some repetition and that's let's, cool. Let's, let's give that Go to ahead, the folks. Troy. Let's give them our, so, so my top uh, 10 to six was as I ruffle, I don't need to ruffle through papers because I have it on a screen because this is like high tech. This is like a 21st century David. Um, so number 10 was Yellow Submarine. Number nine was Purple Rose of Cairo. Number eight was The Wizard of Oz. Number seven was Being John Malkovich. And number six was Field of Dreams. And still and my is. top And my top 10 was Mary Poppins, number 10, King Kong, the original number nine, Groundhog Day, number eight, Spirited Away, number seven, and number six with Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. We did have some repetition. My number nine, King Kong, was in uh, Troy's top five, and Troy's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and Field of Dreams was in my top five. So let's go to Troy's number five, unless you want to add something else quickly. Nope. Here's my number five, David. Uh, The Princess Bride. (coughs) I brought you a special present. What is it? A book? This is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. I'll try and stay awake. Wesley had no money for marriage, so he packed his few belongings and left the farm to seek his fortune across the sea. Or the land gave Humperdinck the right to choose his bride. The fabric will make the prince suspect the Gildarians have abducted his love. I never said anything about killing anyone. I just happened to look behind us and something is there. He's obviously seen us with the princess and let's therefore die. Pick up one of those rocks, get behind the boulder. The minute his head is in view, hit it with the rock! I was not a sportsman, that. 
I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder. I'm swapped. Grandpa, what did you leave me this thing for? Well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? Fencing, fighting, chases, escapes, giants, monsters, torture, revenge, true love, miracles. I'm retired. I might kill whoever you wanted me to miracle. He's already dead. I'll take a look. Bring him in. From 1987. It was directed by Rob Reiner and written by William Goldman. It has a 97% tomato meter rating. Um, Starred Carrie Elways, um, Christopher Guest, Wallace Shawn, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, Andre the Giant, and Fred Savage. Oh, and... uh, that was uh, Columbo was in there too, right? Right, Peter Falk. Yeah. Peter Falk, thank you. Um, why do I love it? As as this is one of the most beloved films of all time, I likely don't have to explain what's to like. Um, like most great films, it's the combination of a great script and a great cast, but I'd be wrong to forget Rob Reiner, who is one of the most invisible directors in Hollywood history. Um but let's not forget his track record of great films, regardless of genre. There's Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, When Harry Met Sally, and Misery, to name a few. Um, not adding The Princess Bride to my list would be inconceivable! Okay, this is another one of our matching top tens, because I have Princess Bride. And I have it as my number three. Yeah. My notes on it. I have it as number three. Okay. And I'll just quickly grab a ruffling of papers just for the effect. Yeah, I'll, I'll even add. I'll you. Iconic lines, everlasting love, humor, Mandy Patinkin, rats of unusual size, Christopher Guest, and a fantastic cast. I think, Troy, you've already uh, said why it should be in everyone's top 10 and definitely well worth watching. I won't spoil or say any add anything more because we are starting to run out of time. But <laughs> definitely, this is storytelling at its best. And the overall, I think it's, um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, his last name is Savage. He's the kid. Oh, Fred Savage. And he was in yeah. Wonder Years. Fred, Fred Savage. Yeah. yeah. And and Peter Falk and that whole overarching sense of the, him of Peter Falk telling this story. Sure, the framing the mechanism. Kid. Yeah. Yeah, the framing mechanism is great, and it's just again, it's just love. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. just in my top three. And you know, I'm I'm kind of tired of the phrase uh, "all the feels," but this is a film that has all the feels. Yes, and Andre the Giant uh, is fantastic, and he was not. And if you watch any specials or any things about Andre the Giant, and also about a Princess Bride, the understanding of what he went through because he was near the end of his career, uh, based on his 
uh, his health situation, uh, people of his size, basically, uh, I guess he's sort of a man of unusual size. Uh, that also connects with the fact that people with with his situation don't live much past into their 40s. He was already at the end of his wrestling career and was already going through a lot of health issues. And this was nearing the end of his life. And for him to do what he did in that film was sensational. Um, so, yeah, shout out to Andre the Giant. And having him and, and Wallace Shawn together were just, it was just brilliant. Mm. Again, yeah. great casting. Um, all righty. And my I'm, number five, because you did your five. My five is It's a Wonderful Life. I'm not sure mm. if that's an overlap or not, or if that nope. just didn't quite make your top 10. It, it was, again, it was, it was one of those two films that couldn't make the top 10. I had it there initially when I listed it off, but um, it, there's only so many, you know? Yeah. So anyways, um, I should, and this is the note where I said that it should probably be actually rated higher. Uh, I didn't say anything like anyone who doesn't have it in their top 10 list is an idiot. I did not say that. So I'm just kidding. Of course. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to, I, I that was a humorous right. aside, but, but you do, but this is one of your favorite films for sure. And that's yeah. also one of those films. I'm sure you watch every Christmas as often as I can. Yeah. So um, this should probably be rated higher. Um uh the device of what was i never been what if i was never born or what if i was never here this is as you mentioned just like groundhog day this feels a bit like a twilight zone episode yeah um great acting a great villain um the idea of paying things forward and being just a good person and the fact that you've done all of these things sort of like it takes a village it's community working together for justice uh, trying to get a piece of America uh, of the American dream. It almost has senses of like pro union kind of statement and trying to go against the, the, the man, so to speak, lasso the moon, a great ending, a great message. The, the there are two wonderful scenes. I like, this is one of Alexa's top five films for sure. The scene where she's, she somehow he steps accidentally and then she runs away and she's in this bush and, and, oh, and Donna Reed. Was, yes. Donna Reed. And she doesn't have any clothes on. She's asked for her, her, her um, robe back. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. Like that. That this whole is very scene. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you don't run into this every day, this yeah. opportunity, this kind of thing. And the scene, which is one of the most powerful emotional romantic moments oh, yes. in film history when you already know the scene i'm talking about is yeah. basically where he's invited into the house and she's on the phone with someone else and he sees the the the, the, the picture of the last cell the moon and and they're both right next to each other talking on mm -hmm. the phone and that whole moment that whole scene is just just you know bring out the kleenex boxes yep and bring out the power, the emotion, the mother at the top of the story, like all of these things that add into this scene of them finally being thrust together is just a stunning achievement. Yeah. And, and Jimmy Stewart's uh, performance as he's having his meltdown before he heads off to the bridge to kill himself. Um, that is also so emotional where he loses it with his kids mm. um, because you know, that's not who he is. I 
Janie, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I... You go on and practice. Pete, I owe you an apology, too. I'm sorry. What do you want to know? Nothing, Daddy. What's the matter with everybody? Janie, go on. I told you to practice. Now go on, play. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> George, why must you torture the children? Why don't you... It's so wonderful. And yes, I mean, it could be bright, broken down. It could be edited into like almost a 30 minute uh, Twilight Zone episode for sure. Um, yeah, it, yeah that, that, that's the thing. That's what kills me about this list is it didn't make my top 10 fantasy films, but it's definitely in my top 10 films, regardless of genre. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you're number four. You want to go on to four. Yeah. See, now my number four is is a film that, that likely bumped It's a Wonderful Life from the list because I, I had to reconsider it a few mm. times. Mm. And that film is uh, Pan's Labyrinth from 2006. In a dark time when hope was bleak, there lived a young girl whose only escape was in a legend that wanted her back. The legend speaks of the lost soul of a princess from another world who will one day be reborn. There will be signs that mark her return. There will be secrets that reveal her destiny. There will be a journey that will make you believe. From Picture House, of Guillermo del Toro. In darkness, there can be light. In misery, there can be beauty. In death, there can be life. labyrinth uh directed and written by guillermo del toro uh it has a 95 percent rating uh i rewatched it again in consideration of like did i really want it in my top 10 was it really gonna bump a film like it's a wonderful life mm. uh so this is what i came up with it is si- simultaneously beautiful and brutal it reminds us that often the horrors of the real world exist alongside the wonders of our fantasy worlds Mm. at times it feels as if schindler's list has been intercut with the wizard of oz 
Terry Gilliam's Brazil has a bit of this juxtaposition, yet the violence in Brazil isn't as realistic or drawn out as it is in Pan's Labyrinth. And his protagonist is not a young girl as she is in this film. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is remarkable and really one of a kind. Um, and it, that's why it is on my list and is as high as it is. Yeah, and I'm sorry I didn't make my uh, top 10. And if I had done a rewatch of it, then it might have. Um, one of the things, I'm not sure if it's also a Del Toro film, The Devil's, ba- the Devil's yes. Backbone. It's the film that um, sort of is, is a partner film with Pan's Labyrinth that preceded it. Yeah. Yeah, because that one would be the perfect one to cover or, or talk a bit about on our ghost episode that we're planning on doing with Michael Rowe, our, our two-part ghost one this summer. But um, definitely with, with something like that, some of the description you did for Pan's Labyrinth also applies to The Devil's Backbone. Some great uh, films in there. Um, I've got, as my number four, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Excellent. Um, that one is... To me, one of the great um, films. This is the last of my list because three, two, one, we've already covered as a duplication. This is the last one that I will talk about on my side, and I will certainly comment on your ones. But for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the two main characters in it, um, you've got uh, Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun-Fat, and they play the two main protagonists. When I watch the film and, and subsequent watchings and just the sense of the film, these two may be the perfect man and woman in film just about. Like I, when I look at Chow Yun-Fat and the character, what he's about, what he does in the film, his character, his morality, the way he treats people, the way the, what he does basically sets such a high level and the aspiration of what, you would want to be as a man to to the way that you should act in your life. You know, the things that you're, what you say and what you do have consequences, the way you should act, the way you should be. And the same thing I felt with Michelle Yeoh's character and the way she treats people and the way they are. And they, it's sort of like that aspirational tone. So I just absolutely love them. The emotional content. The fight in the bamboo forest about honor, love, the quest, a heroic death, the magical realism, the fantastic elements. A a, a couple of friends of mine who I absolutely love and adore years ago walked out of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in the first five minutes. Oh, no. Um, They could not take it. They could could not stand it. Now, the reason for it was... That and I won't mention who they are, and, and I respect that they're, they're absolutely fan- one of one of them has passed away some years ago, um, and, and the wife who is, is, has survived, absolutely fantastic and wonderful people, and I, I absolutely respect uh, them both. Even and, and one, as I had mentioned, has has passed away, uh, uh, just fantastic people. Yet their reaction was they weren't expecting the the the. the you know, not it being in English, like it, they, they had the subtitles and the sure titles. That was one thing that wasn't enough for them to leave. 
but that was sort of a they just weren't expecting that but it wasn't didn't help with the, you know you having to read these things as you're watching this thing so that was one thing the other thing was they were expecting a standard sword and sword or some kind of a film that didn't have all of this they can't do that it's sort of that matrix kind of thing so right. when they're doing all this stuff where they they can't start flying through the air like they can take one thing but they can't take another another oh so they didn't uh, accept it, it as they didn't accept that as being part of the the universe of the story yes and that took them out also and then maybe whatever other things were going on in their life or something else they just couldn't and maybe subsequently they may have finally sat down and watched it and maybe liked it or something like that it just right. took them out it was just too much for me i just got drawn in because i just like that kind of thing where where something unusual the kind of magic realism where you yeah. where, where you have um Borges and some of these other people like Central and South America, that kind of tradition where sure. someone could just suddenly start flying or, or have things that just can't happen in real life happen. And, and I just love that. So I suspend my disbelief and yeah. I watch that. And it also has a sort of a subplot of these two younger people and what they're doing. So it isn't just a journey of the two main characters and. Uh, so basically that's it. So I, I can't really say any more because I don't want to take any more time on it. Uh, also the fact that so many people are aware of it and like it. I had this collection of, of humorous poems and I was originally call it going to call it the wretched beehive of scum and villainy. And no one got that ref reference from the wretched hive of scum and villainy, which was the, the, the Moss Eisley spaceport was described by Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. He said it was a wretched be a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. So I was going to call my my collection the wretched beehive of scum and villainy. No, sorry, no <laughs> one got it. So I then called it Crouching Yak, Hidden Emu. <laughs> and everyone got that reference sure. because everyone knew Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. So it's that kind of film that that really, and it, I think it may have won an Oscar or two, and it was very much a love film. So that's my number four and my last of my my list because three was Princess Bride, which you already had, two was Field of Dreams, one is Wizard of Oz. So if you want to comment, and if not, you can do your number three. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I, that's one on my list that I'm, I may not have seen all of now. I, I certainly didn't walk out on it, but I think I may have started watching it on one of the movie channels um, and then had to go somewhere or whatever. and never got back to it. But uh, Ang Lee uh, is a fantastic director. Um, I was a big fan of the ice storm, which starred uh, Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein and a number of other uh, folks, including Toby Maguire. Um, he also did, I think the first Hulk film. Uh, and, and I really liked his approach to that as well, even though it wasn't particularly well received. So I think I definitely need to revisit Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, especially on your placement of it so high on your list. So that's something I will get to now. And I, I can't recall, David, I know it was nominated for a number of Oscars. Did it actually win for best film? It was nominated, it did not win. It was nominated for Best Picture, nominated for Best Director, nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. It won Best Foreign, that was, I was right. I, I'm glad I remember this. Best Foreign Language Film, it did win. Best Art Direction, it won. Best Cinematography, it won. Best wow. Original Score, it won. And then it was nominated for Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, and it was also nominated for Best Original Song. And then it won or was nominated for so many other, like the BAFTA 
and for all these other awards, it has such a streak of having won or been nominated for so many different things. Like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not maybe sharing the screen right now, but just go to the That's Wikipedia okay. page, go to the bottom where it says awards, the category, the nominate, and the result. And this just goes on for page after page. Um, and when it comes to the actual Academy Awards, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's 10 awards it was nominated for with four wins. So yeah, definitely it did get some respect, which is great. And we're, right. running out, we're at the time now, so we will finish off. Anything else for Crouching Tiger before you go on to your number three? I am okay. Yeah, I'm ready for my number three. Uh Number three is from 1977. It is David Lynch's Eraserhead. Um, it starred Jack Nance and Charlotte Stewart uh, and has a 90% tomato meter rating. Why do I love it? Well, if ever there was a mandatory viewing for film nerds of the 80s, it was David Lynch's Eraserhead. A lot of Lynch's work can be described as being audacious, but likely no more so than this, his first feature film, a black and white phantasmagoria about a man named Henry who learns he's about to become a father. Eraserhead had the man at the controls, the woman at the radiator, and it had that baby. And there was the not quite dead chickens on the dinner table. Eraserhead is a fantasia of urban paranoia that gets under your skin and never leaves. It's more dream than drama. The film was the Bible for a generation of DIY artists of every discipline. And like a few of my other favorite fantasy films, there was a musical number and the lyrics were in heaven. Everything is fine. You've got your good thing and you've got mine. That's Eraserhead, the wonderfully weird uh, film that's hard to shake. Yeah, and I'm sorry, that, but Eraserhead is a film. We all have films that we have missed, like, like we just somehow, for whatever reason, and in some cases those might be um, absolutely stunning achievements. Um, and one I was embarrassed to say I hadn't seen until a few years ago, and so many people had said it was... Um, great, which was based on a Stephen King novel that had Morgan Freeman in it. I'm just trying to remember. Oh, the, Shawshank Redemption. The, the Shawshank Redemption, which is absolutely breathtaking. And somehow I had missed it. 
And I'm just glad that a few years ago I did watch it. I think I've seen it again since. So each of us has films sure. that are great films that you start wondering, why the hell have you not seen it? So Eraserhead is one of those films. So I am sorry to say that I have not seen it, but based on your recommendation, I will definitely uh, take a look. And I kind of cheated with my number two with King Kong. I could not decide between the 33 and 2005 version. And we went into that uh, on our previous episode. So please uh, check out some of that. If, if you've missed this, you should anyway. But yeah, I had both King, well, not both because there's been multiple. I had the 1933 and the 2005 King Kong, even though I do kind of like the 76 De Laurentiis King Kong as well. So uh, your number one, David, was? Wizard of Oz. Right. Um, understandably. Um, my number one was Brazil. Do you wake from your finest fantasy only to return to your daily nightmare? Is your mother about to look younger than you do? Does the woman of your dreams... I love you. In my dreams, I love you. ...still have a few doubts? Then it's time to take a stand. To break out of your dull, humdrum life and into Brazil. You're so pleased. You can make it right this way. About rights of fantasy and the nightmare of reality. We're all in this together. Terrorist bombings. I don't think it involves anything unsavory. Hey, trust me, Jack. And late night shopping. <laughs> True love. You don't trust me? Trust you? Trust you? The man who hijacks my truck, loses me my job, has every security man in town looking for me? Of course I trust you. I was only trying to help. Yeah. And creative plumbing. There's a problem. Can you fix it? No, I can't. From Terry Gilliam, director of Time Bandits, Jonathan Price. Sam, what are we going to do with you? Robert De Niro. I came into this game for the action, the excitement. Go anywhere, travel light, get in, get out, wherever there's trouble, a man alone. Catherine Hilton and Michael Palin. We've always been close, haven't we? Yes, Jack. Until this all blows over, just stay away from me. Brazil, it's only a state of mind. We're all in it together, kid. Uh, from 1985, it was directed by Terry Gilliam. It was written by Terry Gilliam and Tom Stoppard. Um, it has a 98% tomato meter rating. Um, I'm just going to give you my quick little uh, description from my VHS copy from the 80s. It says, when a daydreaming bureaucrat becomes unwittingly involved with an underground sur- superhero and a beautiful mystery woman, he becomes the tragic victim of his own romantic illusions. This offbeat fantasy blends biting humor and pointed commentary to come up with the unforgettable look at a delightfully dastardly tomorrow. Why do I love it? Well, this film came out at the perfect time for me uh, to latch on to it and sing its praises. I've been studying film for a few uh, years by then. Uh, I'd been a fan of Python and Gilliam's previous film, uh, Time Bandits. It's likely the reason I've never wanted to work in an office. Uh, The film is both world-weary and romantic. 
uh, two things I was when I saw it when I was 21 years old. The performance, the performances are fabulous, uh, as is the cinematography. And working with the author of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are, are dead certainly didn't hurt the screenplay. To this day, when I go to write something new, I always have to make sure that I'm not not cribbing an idea from Brazil. It's impact was just that profound i still love this film and you have to be careful there's various versions of this uh film out there uh terry gilliam battled with the studio uh back and forth they released a version called the um love conquers all version which is a piece of crap uh, totally compromised uh, uh the vision of gilliam uh his version is is probably i think about 15 minutes longer as well and is uh let's just say darker okay so when you talk about the different versions just for our fans or for people to make sure they latch on to the correct one is there anything like it's not called directors like how do you differentiate i believe there is is just just running time i believe there is just a a, uh director's cut out there that that is you can find but the criterion uh collection released a version or basically a little box set of of the film one disc is all supplementary materials uh um, sort of uh, making of stuff um production notes uh gilliam was involved with the whole criterion collection uh, approach to it i believe so it has his version of the film the proper version and then it has the version that um i guess it's was i believe i want to say mgm well, at least this videotape is mgm but it might have not have been a mgm who Oh, Universal. There we go. Um, that released it. Uh, they put out a version, that Love Conquers All version, with a happy ending um, that you will see if you watch TV and it comes on like TBS or something like that. They still have that version. And a few times I've started watching it and I feel like I'm having a dream, you know, because it's like this feels like Brazil, but this is not the film that I've, I, I love. Um where, yeah, it's not nearly as dark or dystopian as um, the original proper film. Well, it's like Blade Runner, where there's a version that has the the uh, the voiceover and has the happy ending that one should avoid. Um, now, with Brazil, I'm, I'll tell you a story that may scare you, because this is your top fantasy film. Now, yep. this is a film that I could not get past the first couple of minutes Originally, when I first saw it, there was this whole scene with the clouds and with all this BS at the beginning that I I just couldn't stand. Maybe it was something I was going through that day. Whatever it was, I just turned the thing off. I just could not get through it. So many people over the years have recommended and said that Brazil is a great film. I said, you know what? I'm going to sit my ass in the chair. I'm going to get through this scene that reminds me of the ape scene in 2001 for how long and ridiculous it is <laughs> and just just get through that and then watch the film and just enjoy the hell out of it and know that pe- so many people that I respect and love like this film, that this is going to be one of these quintessential films that you must be on your list. It's probably in that list of thousand and one or thousand films you must see i'm sure brazil is in that book that you reference sometimes actually all but all but uh one is are are on that list and what is the one if i may um sorry i need to can i I see oh don't worry let's not do let's not worry about that so let me talk about brazil oh yellow submarine yellow submarine oh yellow submarine 
Okay. So uh, with Brazil, I finally, because maybe it's just something you were going through, whatever it is, or just like my friends who, who couldn't take the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Sometimes it's just not, you're not ready to watch that film or with you with some of these films, like the, the ones that you might fall asleep during the middle of it or whatever. Um, I just finally said, you know what, I'm going to watch this film. And wow, that's a good film. And I'm really sorry it's not on my top 10 list. Um, and I definitely want to give it another, another rewatch. Um, and a lot of films. Wow, Jonathan Price hmm. is incredible. Yeah. And a lot of films definitely do. I mean, I get probably all film benefits from seeing it on a big screen your first time. And so I was fortunate to see that when it was released. Um, and, and we're better now. We're better now than like, like remember in the seventies or early eighties where you oh, have yes. this, what this, these cathode ray things that are maybe 20 or 25, uh-huh. or whatever it is that, that weigh 80 pounds and you're trying to move yeah. it from one room to right. another oh, that, no. that yes. have this small screen. Like now and, like, we just bought, we bought a 55 inch 4k TV yeah. that I know it's not the same as a theater, but this thing, when we're not that far from it gives a better sense. It's still better in a theater, obviously. Yeah, but we're at the point yes. nowadays. If you can afford, I'm not saying that every yeah. person has no, one you're of right. these 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 TVs, but but they're more common and they're cheaper. And like this one was like 500 bucks. So and, and, and it was they a Boxing the, Day or sale. And and they are the, they are the proper uh, aspect ratio, uh, or at least closer to the proper aspect ratio of yeah, a yeah. feature film than a three by four. TV screen was so yeah yeah so, with the pan and scan oh the pan you, and scan oh my god just awful where they're editing like these people are now decided that when you have that scene from um uh now I'm trying to remember the name of the film but it's basically I am Spartacus so I think the film might have been called Spartacus but it was there's a scene at the very beginning of it where there's got the two people on the mountaintop kind of thing doing those horns and and basically on the big screen widescreen thing you can actually see both of them on the left and the right responding to each other and yeah. passing the signal on and so on, which is brilliant. Now with the pan and scan, you, you go to the left and you see that then it pans to the right. You see the response. It's just not the same effect. So you're right about yeah. the pans and the, the aspect ratio, seeing things on a big screen, good quality HD or 4k TV nowadays is a much better experience than it was. You're right. Yeah. And when I first saw this film, I was so blown away by it. I was writing for uh, my college paper and I just reread it last night and it was so hyperbolic. I was so blown away by the film. I think I said, this is the best film of the past 50 years, (laughs) which I I would not stand by that today. Um, But it definitely shows, you know, how impressed I was with the film for sure. Well, like the 33 Kong, the 39 Wizard of Oz, the 77 or so, um, Star Wars and so on. They're, they're films every five or 10 years. 2001 A Space Odyssey and 68. Like every so often, there's a film that blows everything else before and pushes it another limit and does something that makes you jump in and say, hey, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is another film like that. Brazil, I think, would be in that class of film that nothing was really done like it before. And it basically changed the premise. Same thing with the matrix. Every so often you've got one of those films that makes a statement that does something that no, no film like it has done. And it just doesn't, it stands in a class of itself. So I, I do give you that Brazil is one of those films. Okay. So we'll do a quick recap of our top five. Uh, We already did a recap of 10 through six at the, at the uh, beginning of this episode. Our five through one 
I'll do mine first. My number Sounds five. Good. It's a my number five. It's a Wonderful Life. Number four, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. My number three was Princess Bride. My number two, Field of Dreams. And my number one was The Wizard of Oz. And my top five, five was The Princess Bride. Four was Pan's Labyrinth. Three was Eraserhead. Two was King Kong. And number one was Brazil. And just to mention, since we do have overlap and stuff, my number three, Princess Bride, did appear on um, Troy's list. Field of Dreams, my number two, did appear on Troy's list. My number one, Wizard of Oz, did appear on Troy's list. And when it comes to Troy's list, Princess Bride was on my list and King Kong was on my list. So there is some overlap. Overall, overlap was about five or six films, which is pretty good. Yeah. So I just realized, quick look at it, nine of the ten films uh, were included. Yeah, in the fantasy. I said that already, so I'll leave that. Um, Four of the ten films on my list were from the 1980s, which wasn't about the same as what I had in the uh, our previous list on favorite science fiction. I had no duplication of directors. That wasn't intentional. It's just the way it panned out. So how about... For sure. Our- now, now let's do our honorable mentions. And uh, go right ahead. If you want to start, unless you want me to start, I'll just... Uh, we can just throw just some titles of some films without getting into a lot of details well, near in the end of the episode. Th- these are the ones that, that I had sort of like when I first did my brainstorm, just writing off the top of my head, these are the ones that um, you were up for consideration. But when I, you know, compared them to the other ones that were on my 10, they couldn't break through. Um, even though I, I love the hell out of all of these films. Um, so I had, Time Bandits and Baron Munchausen by uh, Terry Gilliam as well. Uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I could not believe, like, it was on my original top 10 and it got bumped out. Um, Here's a film that a lot of people, I think, don't like, but it always, I always liked it quite a lot. It was What Dreams May Come, starring Robin Williams and based on a novel by uh, Richard Matheson. Um, Groundhog Day and Big. Big was was one of the ones off the top of my head that I had there. Uh, Eight and a Half by Federico Fellini was there, and it was a big inspiration for Brazil. Uh, It is one of my favorite films, period, and will probably be in my top ten of all time, regardless of genre. Um, My Neighbor Totoro was there. Um, and not a film, but one that I love as a fantasy film or a, a miniseries is 112263 based on the Stephen King uh, novel, but doesn't, doesn't cut it, but it is one of my favorite uh, film adapt or like, you know, visual adaptations of a Stephen King story. Um, also Scott Pilgrim versus the world directed by Edgar Wright. Uh, it just, it's like, feels like it's neither fish nor fowl. Um, but I love the hell out of that film. And also one that came to mind as we were doing the list, David, was Swiss Army Man starring Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Um, I don't know if you know that film, but uh, nope. Paul Dano plays a character who is shipwrecked. And one of his friends, uh, is so sort of like Castaway in a way, but one of his friends who's dead is washed up on the shore. And he sometimes talks to him and sometimes doesn't. And Paul Dano uses him as the titular Swiss army man. 
<laughs> so he's like a Swiss army knife that uh, can do things. Uh, wow. It's a, it's a weird twisted little film um, that stuck in the back of my brain. How about you, Dave? What's, what are your I'll, I'll just quickly, quickly with titles without getting into it too much. Um, and some of these may or may not apply or sh- should be part considered fantasy or whatever, but I've got Excalibur in there. Um, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Pan's Labyrinth. This, this is some of these may have appeared on your list, but didn't make mine. Forrest Gump. The Seventh Seal is rated fairly highly in a lot of oh, us. Yeah. Lord of the Rings or Return of the King. I've also got Big Fish, which oh, yes. left me as an emotional wreck because my father had passed away a few years before that. And I was basically couldn't walk from the theater after the, the movie Big oh. Fish, The Thief of Baghdad. And then what I wanted to just mention this too, is that because these things are all subjective and trying to figure out less. I just wanted to very quickly, because Rotten Tomatoes has its own way of rating things. And I just yes. looked under there and things like Conan the Barbarian. But I'm going to quickly just go over what the top 10 list was from Rotten Tomatoes. Now, Rotten Tomatoes had the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King as number 10, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, number nine, Princess Bride, number eight, The Green Knight, which I hadn't heard of from 2021 is number seven, Pan's Labyrinth, number six, Beauty and the Beast from 1946 as number five. Now, I don't know if you had heard of this, A Monster Calls from 2016, they have as number four. They wow. have Harry Potter and the Goblet, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two as number three. So we're getting right at the top of Rotten Tomatoes. Number two, The Jungle Book from 2016. Somehow they had as number two on Rotten Tomatoes. Number one was Wizard of Oz. But some of these ones I wow, would definitely have to book. like the Green Knight, a monster cause I hadn't heard of, or maybe I, I just somehow missed it. The Jungle Book from 2016 and The Green Knight from 2021 are ones I will definitely from this list want to watch. Very and good some film. of the ones that they – oh, it is? Yeah, yeah. I actually saw that in the theater and Jungle Book, and I watched it uh, two weekends ago. Just uh, sort of I was bored and was like, oh, I'll watch that again. And, yeah, it really – it holds up. But, I mean, I, I guess it's fantasy, but not – it's sort of – yeah, not what I would think of when I think of fantasy. Yeah, and the other things, just a couple of films I have between 11 and 20. Number 12, Thief of Baghdad, which I watched on TCM recently, or some of it, and it was very good. Mary Poppins was number 15. What's strange is they had Mary Poppins Return as number 14. Mary Poppins Return was rated higher on the Rotten Tomatoes than the actual original one. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, number 16, Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Ring was number 17. So actually in their top 20 films, all three Lord of the Rings films made it. And Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was number 20. So that's sort of some of these other ones that didn't quite make our list. Yeah, that's a good list. Those are good lists. Okay. And this does complete our second season. Well done, sir. We are looking... Yeah, we're looking forward to season three, but I thought we just mentioned very quickly because we are reaching the end here is that our season two did start in October. We had The Exorcist, two parts, October 16th, October 30th of 2021 with Valentino Ascenza as our guest. And on November 13th, we had Universal Classic Monsters with Michael Rowe. November 27th, uh, we were lucky to have Bev Vincent back for On Writing, Stephen King's On Writing. Uh, I love that book and I loved that episode yeah 
uh, December 11th, uh, we got into our holiday season festivities with uh, Horror for the Holidays Part 1 and followed it up with a December 25th Christmas Day. We dropped Part 2 of that show where we were talking about Krampus and Black Christmas and other Christmassy things. Oh, like the Star Wars Christmas special, for example. Absolutely. Those were episodes five and six. Episode seven on January 8th of 2022 was the year-end review uncut. And that was kind of a cool idea was just to actually do an episode where we actually didn't do much cutting or editing. We just went with it. So that was kind of neat. That's right. It was kind of our Beatles get back salute. Um, on we uh, January 22nd, we were lucky to have a two-parter with part one of the two parts of the 2001 Space Odyssey with an all-star lineup of Mark Asquith and Robert J. Sawyer on the show. So we uh, had part two of that on February 5th. Two outstanding uh, guests talking about what's considered the best sci-fi film of all time. Yeah, those were episodes eight and nine. Episode 10 was February 19th. That was genre crushes, beefcake and cheesecake with Charlene Challenger and Shandle Minook. Um, yeah, I had way too much fun on that episode. Uh, March 5th, we had The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai with Ira Naiman on the show. That was a lot of fun, and thanks to Ira for uh, having me finally watch Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah, that was the 11th episode. Our 12th episode was March 19th. That was Two Old Farts talk Top 10 Sci-Fi Films. And our, our favorites. Third, yeah. Yes, actually. Our, our, our very... Um, subjective favorites and of course these two episodes our 13th and 14th are our final episodes of season two which was too old for us to talk our top 10 fantasy films so that's our top 10 fantasy films episode hope you enjoyed it remember to catch us on our socials definitely check out our website we're two of.ca numeric two uh facebook we are two old farts talk sci-fi there's a lot of fun on that i would definitely check that out and you can try us on twitter at two old farts sci-fi with a numeric two please like and subscribe wherever you find us tell a friend and let us know what you think i am david clink and i am troy harkin see you all for our next episode of two old farts talk sci-fi 